No, no, you're fine. Okay. Hey. Goal. <laughs> and we welcome you into another episode of the Marvel Sports Talk Show, broadcasting live from inside the Carl Hansen Student Center on the campus of Quinnipiac University. I'm David Marr, alongside my co-host, Andrew Spizzano. Uh, NHL and uh, NBA are back in full swing. And to celebrate our hockey season being back in full swing, we have a very special guest on our show. Uh, he is a freshman forward for the University of Oregon's club hockey team. And he is also my younger brother. Charles Marr is joining us uh, via phone call. Charlie, how are you this afternoon? Uh, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. So our grandfather, uh, Jim, had this question that I'm supposed to bring up um, for uh, when I introduce you. What's it like playing West Coast hockey from an East Coast kid perspective? Um, at first, it didn't really seem too obvious, but uh, I think I've noticed the game's a bit different, especially uh, most of my team's kids from California who are just hilarious and love the game of hockey, which is kind of funny because uh, it's, it's not as big as it, uh, as it is on the East Coast. So I've had a great time traveling out here, seeing all the cool places. We just got back from uh, Cheney, Washington, where we went 4-0 uh, during the weekend, so it's been great. I'm having a great time, and I love it out here, to be honest. Six points in four games, correct, if I read my stats correctly? Uh, yes, couple I believe of, so. A couple of goals in his college career already, this kid, so he's off to a good start. So, All right, so we're mainly talking hockey on this week's show. Of course, we'll talk some football, uh, college, and professional, of course. So let's get into our NHL rundown, Andrew, and let's start with your team. You know, we usually start with my team, but let's switch this up this week, and let's start with your team, the New York Rangers, who find themselves in second, uh, tied for second place early in the Metropolitan. Um, you know, 6-2-1, and one, 13 points, 3 points behind division-leading Carolina. Uh, what are we feeling about the Rangers right now? Oh, man, I am excited. You know, they, they played very well at the end of last year, and they just locked up Norris-winning defenseman Adam Fox. They just gave him a seven-year deal, and, man, has he earned it. He has made some unbelievable plays had the game-winning goal the other night against the Kraken on the road. That's just a that's a huge move for them. They locked up Zabanajad earlier in the season, and they also have obviously Panarin long term. But I want to talk about Igor Shesterkin. Mm-hmm. He has been unbelievable. He had he had his first career shutout against Columbus, and then they went on the road two nights later, and I believe he had he had thirty one stops and only gave up one goal against Seattle. And I I saw a stat. He, like, saved. He literally stole the game. They won by two goals. Mm-hmm. And it was like he didn't allow 2.28 expected goals, like, from saves that he made. He had a really good game. And, yeah, the Rangers are looking good right now. And they're on a big West Coast trip right now. They play Vancouver tonight. Be curious to see how they do out there. Joe, you got any thoughts on the Rangers and their good start to the season? Uh, I'm actually a big Rangers fan this year. I think uh, I think going into the season, the moves they made to get deeper in the bottom six are huge. Added Rebo and Heedle. And then uh, obviously locking up Adam Fox and Zibanejad in the offseason. Or Fox just recently, but Zibanejad in the offseason has been huge for them. Uh, I think they've got a really good team. If not now, then within the next two years, they're going to be a real dominant uh, team in the East Coast. That's weird to hear uh, Charlie talk about how good the Rangers are coming from a guy who loves Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers, which we'll get into in a second. Um, yeah, the Rangers are good. I, I I love what I see from their young talent. You know, we, we talked about it last year on, on our podcast, and we said that the Rangers were too young to get to the playoffs, even though they were right there. Now we're seeing their young team develop and become this, you know, and it helps to have leaders like Chris Kreider and Mika Zibanejad, and you have that young talent that you develop. And Gerard Gallant, early coach of the year candidate. I'm just saying because when you get a guy who's been uh, who's played in a, who's coached a Stanley Cup final before, and you mix it in with that young talent, it blends together, and we're seeing it uh, for the Rangers. And it's impressive what they've been able to do after dropping their first two games. Um, so let's go to out west and let's talk about the Edmonton Oilers Charlie we'll start with you you're a big Connor McDavid guy um I'm not gonna say he's he should be already a Hart Trophy candidate but obviously he and Dreisaitl have been off to this ridiculous start um seven and one to start the season they currently 
lead the Pacific Division by over Calgary just by a point. But uh, Charlie, you're you're in love with Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl and that combination out west. So what do you think of it so far this season? Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take the reins of the lowest questions here. I mean, look, just just watch the game. <clears throat> I think Leon especially, it looks, it looks much faster, much more poised this year than compared to last year. Uh, and obviously McDavid's just not human anymore. It's unbelievable what this guy is able to do <clears throat> pretty much every game. Just, it's crazy to watch. It's, it's a video game every time, and it's obviously it's been overstated, but um, they made some key moves in the offseason, getting deeper again in their bottom six with Fogel. And uh, Derek Ryan, so that third line's been really dangerous for them to start the year. And then their goaltending, which was a huge question mark going into the year, you know, were they going to make a trade for Jari or were they going to sign Holpe and whatnot? And they ended up sticking with the old guns in Koskinen and Smith. And uh, Smith had an early injury after going 2-0, and and then Koskinen took the reins. He's 5-1 and now. So I love what the team's doing right now. I hope that the pace continues, and I think it's a very sustainable number for them, especially if their power plays at 50%. <laughs> so I think that this team's going to be, uh, you know, probably top one, two in the Pacific, and then hopefully a deep playoff run, even though I said that last year and they were swept. <laughs> yeah, um, Edmonton has looked great. And, you know, that top line is just, they've got Connor McDavid. Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he has 11 assists, so he's he's really benefiting having... Those are all his points, by the way. 11 <laughs> assists, that's it. He, has no, he hasn't scored a goal all I year. I know. That's ridiculous. Yeah, he's, he's setting these guys up, and Dreisaitl, too, he's unbelievable. But, yeah, the goalie... I was really worried about the goaltending situation coming into the season when we previewed Edmonton, and Koskinen has done a great job after Mike Smith's injury. You know, 5-1... and one, 933 save percentage. And, you know, I like I like Tyson Berry on defense, too. He's a beast. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, McDavid's going to win the heart <laughs> and a bunch of other awards at this rate. I would <laughs> guarantee it. <laughs> Can we put in a vote for Dreisaitl just to make it, like, a little bit competitive for this race? Because what, what they've done is ridiculous. 34 combined points, those two. It's crazy. And, and their stats match. They're, exactly, they're an exact match. Seven goals and ten assists combined. Or seven goals, ten assists for each player, which is unheard of. And this this Oilers team, I think, is might be on a mission from what happened last year. After you know we Toronto, and we'll get into them in just a minute. Um, but Edmonton had suffered the same fate, losing to Montreal, or no, to Winnipeg in the first round. So the Oilers look like they're on a mission, and with that top line of McDavid, Drysaddle, and Nugent Hopkins, they're going to be a force, and it's really it's going to be really tough to stop them. So. Let's jump back east and let's talk about my team, uh, the Florida Panthers. I witnessed their game on Saturday in Boston. It was a battle of who wanted to win it less. And the Panthers suffered their first loss of the season, 3-2, uh, to two, but 8-0-1 to start the regular season, 5-0 and at home. I, I thought there'd be a couple losses before we'd get to Boston, but I did tweet out the fact that it was all setting up for me to go witness the first loss of the season in Boston and then... I hate being right, officially. I officially hate being right. I never want to be right ever again. But um, I thought they'd lose to the Islanders after beating Pittsburgh. No, they destroyed the Islanders. I thought they'd lose in Tampa Bay. Nope. Destroyed the Lightning. And then I thought they'd lose against Colorado. And they won that game convincingly, too. So the Panthers, I feel like they have everything they need to win right now. And they're the... the, um, the Excuse me, the two-headed goaltending monster of Bobrovsky, early Vezina Trophy candidate also, I'm saying. He's undefeated, hasn't lost this year. Spencer Knight has been a star um, as the backup. But Barkov's playing well. Duclair has become a star. Bennett was such a huge pickup last year, and it's great to see that he's playing as good as he can this year. He got a little injured. Anton Lundell, if he keeps developing, he's going to be amazing to watch. For this Panthers team, and what and ha- and getting Aaron Ekblad back from injury after the uh, injury he suffered last year was so huge for the Panthers. And you know, eight zero and one to start the season in October—that's pretty good for this uh, Panthers team. Yeah, the Panthers have looked great. Um, they've gotten a lot of production from a bunch of different guys. You know, obviously getting Ekblad back from injury is huge. He is a point per game, and obviously Barkov and Huberto are just insane. Anthony Duclair has looked really good, though. He's got six goals. 
then yeah, Sam Bennett for Hague. They've got so much depth. Mm-hmm. And then their goaltending duo of Bobrovsky and Spencer Knight yep. has just been unbelievable, both averaging under two goals a game. You know, I'm excited for the Panthers. I said it when we were previewing hockey. They're, I think they're the best team, mm-hmm. and they've showed it so far. Charlie, what do you think? Yeah, I think that after the offseason they had with uh, Reinhardt, obviously, uh, I think he's a huge pickup to them, even though he's been kind of off to a slow start. They're definitely a cup favorite. I mean, they have the... They have the recipe with the superstar center with Barkov, the superstar defenseman in Ekblad, and then a hot goalie in Bobrovsky. So obviously come playoff time, if all those three guys are still clicking, I think that they're by far the most dangerous team. I mean, their four lines of just pure depth, and I don't see them losing uh, too many games. I think they're easily going to be a 50-win team, probably win the Atlantic, hopefully. And uh, as, as long as Bobrovsky stays hot, I think that this team is going to be wildly dangerous. Is it weird to say that the, the second best team in the Atlantic right now is Buffalo? And, and that's, one, that's it. And we're going to talk over reactions because it's early. And we know some teams are off to good starts. Some teams are off to poor starts. And, but the second best team in the Atlantic right now is Buffalo because they have the head-to-head against Tampa Bay. That's just – that's already – Weird enough to make me wonder. This might actually be a really, really weird NHL season. Um, so, overreactions time. It's early. Everybody's played at least uh, seven games this year. I'm not sure who's played a sixth. Yeah, everybody's played at least seven games this season. Um, we'll get a couple overreactions. Um, my overreaction is the Bruins being at four and three. Um, it it is a little. It's a little bit of an overreaction because. Coming into the season, we thought that the Marchand, the the Bergeron, and the Pasternak line would carry them, and now we're seeing the blueprint. You take those three out, what else do the Bruins have? And Charlie brought up the smart comment from Charlie Coyle, which is, yes, that's fine. But he's not a second-line center. He doesn't, and um, Bruce Cassie made the move in Saturday's game to put Craig Smith on the first line. What was Craig Smith going to do on the first line that Pasternak couldn't? I get adding more depth because you could pair him on the same line as Taylor Hall, but that just did absolutely nothing, and Craig Smith was probably the worst skater on the ice for the Bruins on Saturday. He couldn't shoot. He couldn't finish plays. He couldn't back check. Um, it's a little... I, I still think it's early. The Bruins... Olmark's played good. Swayman's got to, you know, get things going. Um... But and defensively, I thought the Bruins looked pretty good. You know, McAvoy's got his contract extension; he's playing much better. Um, and Mark Riley's a good pickup from Ottawa; he's played very well. You know, let's not overreact to the Bruins' four and three start just yet. I think that they're still trying to work things out with new goaltenders and a new system, and trying to see if they can add more depth beyond um, Bergeron, Marchand, and Pasternak. Charlie, do you have an overreaction for us? Uh, yeah, I do have a few reactions for you. So uh, early on, uh, before the season started, I picked the Winnipeg Jets to win the Stanley Cup. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> shortly into the season, they started 0-2. And then recently, they've been on a four-game win streak. My overreaction to them was it's very clear that this team's defensive structure is lacking. And I really think that Paul Maurice's uh, days are numbered in the old Winnipeg uh in the Jets system here. I think that he's really kind of held this team back. You can clearly see that with good coaching in places like uh, Pittsburgh and in Buffalo, that it, it makes a world of difference. And uh, with Paul Maurice, with the talent they have in their top six, with the goalie they have in Hellebuck, <clears throat> and even their top four defensemen, this team should be a cup contender. And they just don't seem to really have that, uh, that structure that they, that they so desperately need to, uh, you know, go deep in the playoffs or even win the division because I think that with uh, with the way Colorado's injuries are shaping up, I think that that division's wide open. And I was hopeful that the Jets would be uh, my front runner, but it doesn't really seem like that so far, even though they've gone on a four-game win streak. So I'm hoping that uh, <clears throat> my overreaction isn't an overreaction and that this team can pull it together and uh, win the Central. Andrew, you got one? I do, and it's for my New York Rangers. Igor Shesterkin is going to win the Vezina. He is 5-1-1 one, one with a 1.7 goals allowed per game and a 9.47 save percentage, and he has put this Rangers team on his back. He is really 
done a great job. And if he, if the Rangers go, if they could win like forty five plus games or forty plus games, and get a get a playoff spot in the Metro, and Igor keeps playing like this, I I think it could happen. All right, one more round of overreactions. Another one is uh, for Vegas. Vegas is four and four. I picked them to win the Pacific. Um, my overreaction is let's not panic. There's too many injuries with this team. Mark Stone's been out. Max Patch is out a couple of weeks, and they've suffered just injuries on just about every position. Four and four is not the start, and they're getting dismantled by the Leafs. Um, but you know, four and four. Not what you pictured, but this is what happens when you have too many injuries in your lineup and big guys that are out. And now William Carlson's out. That's a big factor and a big loss for Vegas' uh, scoring depth. It's going to be tough for Las Vegas, or Vegas, I guess, to um, get back in the, the swing of things and get those guys back healthy. So they need to just keep treading water and get some wins um, with an injured roster. But it's not time to press the panic button just yet. You know, get your guys healthy, and you know, winning now doesn't have to mean anything. But it's what you—it's how you—it's not how you start; it's how you finish, and that's hoping—that's what we're hoping to see from Vegas down the road. Charlie, you got one more overreaction for us? I most certainly do. I think that with my next overreaction is the skate from the Vancouver Canucks. This mm. idea. They have just oh, wow. looked awful, unbearably awful. It's been really tough to watch them play. I mean especially with the way Demko's been playing. He's just under fire nonstop. Uh, you know, I was really hopeful for this team to also finish a top four and earn a playoff spot in the Pacific, uh, but it really doesn't look like that. I think that this team relies too much on their star power, and Pedersen and Besser and Horvath aren't playing at an elite level. This team falters gigantic. I mean, it's just been tough to watch them. They've gotten zero production other than from my fan favorite, uh, Nils Hoglander, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, Connor Garland, shout out a mask guy, Connor Garland. Mm-hmm. So it's just been tough to watch them. I think that this team is really going to struggle for a while, and I'm hoping that uh, you know they can pull it together and make the playoffs. But it doesn't really look like that so far. So there's my overreaction that the uh, Vancouver Canucks will miss the playoffs. Wow, uh, Andrew, one more overreaction for us before we wrap it up for NHL. Hoping the Rangers beat them tonight. But, um, <laughs> my my overreaction is I'm going to look back at a prediction I made. When we preview the NHL, mm-hmm. and I thought that the Blackhawks were going to be a playoff team. Oh boy! And that was an overreaction to the off season that they had, bringing in Seth Jones on defense and Mark Andre Fleury. Let's talk about Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, he's let's... one in five, almost four goals allowed per game, <laughs> just absolutely abysmal. And Seth Jones hasn't really made an impact either. I'm just I'm so disappointed. They're one in seven. You know, they've been terrible, and that was a big overreaction on my part. Mm-hmm. And now they're in this ridiculous, and, and justifiably so, this um, this scandal involving Kyle Beach. We're not going to bring it up because it's really, it's really inhumane to talk about, but right. they, they're now in a roller coaster of a season, and, you know, so many guys have left positions. Former uh, Joe Quenville re- resigned. Dan Bowman left, and the players haven't even said anything that helps their cause. I mean, this is not over, and um, it's really disappointing that it it came out um, like this. And um, you know, it's it's really not being handled the right way by um, the Chicago Blackhawks or the NHL in that matter. Um, but again, we're not going to bring it up. So, Charlie, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I know it's been kind of a while to get you on the podcast last year, and now we finally got you on the show. So we do appreciate you coming on and. Uh, Good luck in Seattle this weekend. Sounds good. Thank you, boys. Good luck with the rest of the show. Thank, Thank you. you. So that's my brother right there, the uh, Edmonton Oilers fan. I will say one more overreaction. Toronto is bad. I agree with that. Stinkingly bad. They're just bad. So uh, we appreciate Charlie coming on the show. So he he was not going to be able to talk football with us because he never, he's never watched a single football game this year. So, um, so let's get into it. College football, week nine. Some excellent games, and the big game of the day obviously got everything started for a a good Saturday of college football, which was the Paul Bunyan Trophy staying in East Lansing for the second time in the last two years. Michigan State's comeback over the University of Michigan in a game that it looked like Michigan had control of. They were going to win the game. The fourth quarter hit. Kenneth Walker went off 
in the <laughs> second half, and justifiably so, deserves a spot in New York for the Heisman. Um, what he did last week obviously solidified his candidacy. Um, and Michigan State now has a pretty good chance to not only win the Big Ten East and win the Big Ten title, but potentially a chance at a college football playoff berth if they keep winning. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, props to Michigan State. They're ranked third now in the nation. And, you know, the big thing in this game, Michigan was up, they were up 23-14 at half. And then their offense just got shut down by Michigan State. They couldn't score. They only had 10 points in the second half. And Michigan State really turned it on. And, man, Kenneth Walker, he had 197 rushing yards and five Mm -hmm. touchdowns. That's just unbelievable. He carried that offense. And Michigan could not stop him. And yeah, that's a that was a really exciting game to watch. And you know, two two undefeated teams going into it. Someone had to lose, and I'm happy that Michigan State picked up the win. Well, Michigan State has to go to Columbus in a couple of weeks to play the Buckeyes, and that's our next sub- subject. Ohio State got its first real test of the season against a Penn State team that desperately needed to win this game. It looked dicey for a while. But my national champion pick is still alive. Those Buckeyes don't go down without a fight. And what I liked about that game is that the Ohio State defense that had been criticized all year long made the biggest play of the game with a strip sack and a scoop and score on the defensive line to really seal the game. And again, Penn State winning that game really wasn't going to mean much. It was probably going to damage Ohio State's chances of winning the Big Ten and making it into the college football playoff. But... That is a big win for Ohio State, and if they can win out, they've got a really good chance to um, not only win the Big Ten East, but obviously, like I just said, get into the college football playoff. Yeah, and they really needed that win. That was a huge win for Ohio State. C.J. Stroud, over 300 passing yards. He played really well. Henderson with 152 rushing yards. The defense forcing three turnovers. What a big win for Ohio State. And they have a chance to get into the, the playoffs definitely after that win. The other side of the Big Ten, we saw a little bit of separation now. Iowa lost again. I don't know what to think of this Iowa Hawkeyes team. Their offense is pitiful, to say the least. But give props to Wisconsin's defense, and Wisconsin is just one of those teams that may not get into the college football playoff, but they only have two conference losses. And at 1-3, and three, they were done. Now they've won, they've won, they've won. And if they could beat Minnesota at the end of the season, they're going to the Big Ten West. And a couple of weeks ago, we would thought that Wisconsin had no shot at all to be even in the conversation of a, of a Big Ten West champion. But that would be the case if Wisconsin can win out and beat Minnesota on the last day of the season. Yeah, no, that was a really impressive win by Wisconsin. And Iowa... What is going on? They've lost two in a row, 14 total points. And it's not like their defense even played that poorly. But, like, like they've got, they've, they've got to do better than that, especially yeah. with how great they started off. You know, three fumbles lost. You know, that's just terrible. You, but then again, you got to give props to Wisconsin's defense. And like you said, if Wisconsin can win out, that's going to be interesting. But I think this win... I think the college football playoffs are out of the picture now for Iowa. Yeah, yeah, and it would be very tough for Iowa to win the Big Ten West now because what would have to happen is they would have to beat Minnesota, obviously, next week to get any shot, and then they would need another loss by Wisconsin. Their schedule's pretty simple from here on out, but they've got to win these next two games if they were going to have any shot, and they've got to fix their offense. They... They were running the ball much better, but that Penn State game, I think everybody saw the formula. If you take away the run, Spencer Petras can't beat you. These receivers are not that good. And Penn State should have won that game if Sean Clifford didn't go out of the game with an injury. Um, but yeah, Big Ten has completely separated. Um, and the season, and let's go to the Big 12 because there's there's a couple seasons that are over in the Big 12. I think Texas is one thing, but... Texas has been falling apart for years now, so this was not a surprise the way they lost in Waco. It's the same thing with Texas. They get late in the game, they stop giving B. John Robinson the ball, and they lose the game. That was not, you know, nah. Iowa State is a completely different story. They went to West Virginia and got blown out. Jared Daigie just completely picked apart the Cyclones' defense last week. I'm trying to pull up the stats now, but... 
That's a game that Iowa State, with the roster that they have, they were so much more talented than West Virginia. And to lose a sinker like that and give up 370 yards through the air is beyond me. And now they're sitting with two losses. They need miracles to happen if they're going to get into the Big 12 title game. Yeah, I was so excited. I was excited for Iowa State coming into the year. And man, they have been one of the biggest disappointments in the sport. You know, now they're five and three. They just lost to a non ranked West Virginia team. And they've been pitiful all year, especially offensively. You know, it's it's really frustrating. You know, obviously, like you said, three hundred and seventy yards through the air on defense. And they lost the fumble. You know, they they they're they're done. And we're gonna see who's more desperate when Texas and uh, Iowa State meet each other in Ames this Saturday night. Uh, big game. Iowa State, if they can win out and Baylor loses one more game, the Clones would be in the Big 12 championship game because of their head-to-head against Oklahoma State and Oklahoma if they're able to win that game in Norman at the end of the season. So the college football playoff rankings were released a couple of hours ago, but right before we took the air. I'm a little surprised at our top six. Georgia at number one, big surpri- uh, not a big surprise. Michigan State at number three, little bit of a surprise because I didn't think the Spartans were that good. Oregon being at four is a shock. Yeah. Cincinnati being at six. Why does Cincinnati get to be at six? I know that they, you know, their schedule is not as good anymore now, but you can't hold over the fact that they went into um, Bloomington and beat a Big Ten team, and then they went to South Bend and beat Notre Dame. And I know Notre Dame has fallen off a little bit over the last couple of weeks because of their inconsistency on offense, but... This just tells you how screwed up the college football playoff system is. I mean, there is just no respect at all for any teams in the group of five that were ranked in the AP poll. I think Iowa, uh, no, not Iowa. They're not in the uh, uh, group of five. UTSA, Coastal Carolina, SMU, Louisiana, and Fresno State, five group of five teams that were ranked in the AP top 25 did not, or two of them transcended over to the um, college football playoff. Three of them didn't, and obviously the biggest one was the one that made it in Cincinnati, and they're not even a top four team. Yeah, the the rankings. I don't agree with them at all. Um, I think you could move. I like Ohio State over Oregon. I like Cincinnati over Oregon. I even like Oklahoma over them. You know, I want to talk about Oklahoma for a second. Mm-hmm. Ever since they. Switched to Caleb Williams. He has been unbelievable. Absolutely. He had six touchdowns, 400 yards last week. I mean, it was against Texas Tech, who isn't great. But he has stepped in, and he has put on a clinic. Mm. And he's also he's been doing it on the ground, too. You know, he just he snatched Spencer Rattler's job, and he, he's made them a better team. Um, I definitely think they should be higher. I like Cincinnati should be higher. I I just don't agree with the rankings at all. I was really watching that Kansas Oklahoma game. I was gonna. I was rooting so hard for Kansas to beat them. That would have been probably the biggest upset in the last ten years if they were able to beat Oklahoma. Obviously, it didn't happen. But mm-hmm. the reason I think Oregon's ahead of Ohio State for right now is the Ducks have the head-to-head win in Columbus. Right. So that makes sense. But I would put Cincinnati over Ohio State. And just give them the number five, and all they need is one one loss from Oregon, Alabama, or Michigan State to get in. And they're st- they could still do it. Cincinnati can win out, win the conference championship. They would need Georgia to win out and win the SEC. They would need Oregon to potentially fall out, and that that's still a possibility because the Ducks have to go to Utah later in the season. Um, Michigan State has to go to Columbus, and then one of those two teams will probably win the Big Ten. And but. Watch out for Oklahoma because Oklahoma's got three big games coming up out of their bye week, and it starts next week in Waco against Baylor and then against Ames and then Bedlam against Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State still could be into the Big 12 championship game because they've, aside from that loss in Iowa State, if they can win out, and even if they were able to lose that game against Oklahoma, they still have the head-to-head with Baylor if Oklahoma ends up beating Baylor. So very interesting to see how the next month plays out. Um, Let's go to the speed round, and let's say – who do you believe in more, Minnesota or Wisconsin, to win the Big Ten West? Ooh, you see that—that that was a really impressive win by Wisconsin. But man, that so they still have their head-to-head game coming up at the end. Mm-hmm. It's going to be whoever wins that game, I think. But right mm-hmm. now, I I like Wisconsin coming off that win. 
I don't know if Minnesota's good enough to win in Kinnick. I don't remember the last time that Minnesota won at Kinnick. Um, it's been a very long time. I think their biggest, their best chance probably in the last few years was that 2015 game when Iowa was undefeated and it was a close battle that the Gophers ultimately lost. And it's amazing how they've done so well with all the injuries at running back. They lost to Ohio State. They lose their star running back for the rest of the season. They've gone through three other running backs that are all hurt. And they're still they're still a one loss team in the Big Ten. So there's still a chance Minnesota has maybe a small chance. They ha- the, the big question mark is that they can go into Kinnick and win and knock Iowa out of the race. The winner of that game has the best chance to win the Big Ten West that's not Wisconsin. But you're right. I like Wisconsin. Like what I see out of their defense. Like what I see out of their run game. And Graham Mertz is playing much better. So um, can Auburn win the SEC West? They have to go to Texas A&M this weekend uh, and play the Aggies at Kyle Field. And then that could set up a potential SEC West showdown against Alabama at the end of the season. I do think they can. Auburn has played really well this year. I've lo- I've loved watching them play. They they really competed in that Penn State game on the road, I remember. That was the whiteout game, I think. Then, I mean, besides that, they re- they had a clunker against Georgia. But since then, they had a really nice win over Ole Miss this past weekend. That was huge. I think that win over Ole Miss showed me a lot. And if they could go out and beat A&M, then they, have, they do have a tough schedule. They have A&M, Mississippi State coming up. Then they end the season against Bama at home. But if they can win the A&M game and the Mississippi State game, I think they can do it. Is it wrong of me to think that um, Auburn could set up a rematch with Georgia for the SEC championship game after losing that game at home against the Bulldogs? That could be huge. But that's one of those things that must win game for Auburn. They have Kyle Field's a tough place to play, and A&M has looked a lot better over the last couple of weeks. After they beat Bama, they look like a different team with Zach Calzada, a quarterback. Um, that's probably the best game of the day, in my opinion. Auburn against A&M, two good defenses, two good quarterbacks, going to come down to who can run the ball the best and obviously A&M's at home so that could be the way it goes last question for speed round before we take a break will Oregon be able to win the Pac-12 they've got a tough game in Washington try will be there at the uh, Seattle Kraken ice facility for the two games against the Huskies club hockey team and then um, they have to go to Utah as I mentioned down the road is Oregon good enough to win the Pac-12 I don't know what division it's called Pac-12 North and the Pac-12 championship game I do think they're good enough. They're they're clearly the best team in the division, mm. and they. I don't think their their schedule is not too demanding for the rest of the way. I mean, they had that. They lose to. They lost to Stanford. They lost to Stanford. That was a bad loss. I remember that in overtime. But besides that, they've looked really solid this year. Their offenses looked great, and I just don't know if I believe enough in the other teams to to beat them. Yeah, and I think that these close calls, they're going to have to bounce back and play much better um, to you know get to the Pac-12 championship game. If they can win in Seattle and win in Salt Lake City, then that will tell me everything I need to know, that Oregon is actually good enough to win uh, the Pac-12 championship game. We are going to take a short break. When we come back, NFL Week 8, some big games went down this week. We'll take a look at those and get our picks in for week nine on the Marvel Sports Talk Show here on WQAQ. We'll be right back. Not on my watch, our military service members say, as they volunteer to serve. Not on my watch, they say, as they leave their families behind to keep the rest of ours safe. As they move out, stand firm, and take fire. So not on our watch, we say, to the severely ill or injured veterans who can't get the care they deserve, the therapists they need to walk again, the treatment they need to talk again, the lifetime of day-to-day help they need to live full and independent lives. When there's no more government funding, or a nursing home seems like the only option, or everyone says there's no hope for recovery, we won't leave one warrior behind. Not on our watch. Find out how you can do your part at findwwp.org. 
98.1 WQAQ. This is Quinnipiac University's own 98.1 FM WQAQ. The only station you need for the best music, sports, and talk. The new WQAQ. Hello there, this is Nat King Cole wishing you all a happy and a Merry Christmas. The joy of living is in the giving. So let's give lots of toys for tots. Since 1947, the United States Marine Corps has been helping Santa fill his sleigh, making happier holidays for deserving children right in your community. Go to toysfortots.org and learn how you can make a difference. The new WQAQ 98.1 FM. Everything you want and more straight from the heart of Hamden. This is the soundtrack of Quinnipiac. 98.1 WQAQ. We're back on uh, WQAQ, Marvel Sports Talk Show. David Marr alongside Andrew Spezzano recapping week eight of the college, of the NFL season. And we will start with that big game that on, on Thursday night, the undefeated Arizona Cardinals are no longer undefeated. They lost their first game of the year to the Packers. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Every time the Packers win a football game, doesn't matter who it's against, it makes me wonder how in the actual heck did they lose 38 to 3 in week 1 against the Saints? I mean, the Packers played a great defensive game plan. Aaron Rodgers making good throws, relying on his run game. Um, you know, the Packers did a great job and three turnovers on defense, especially the one at the end with uh, AJ Green not knowing where the ball was at the end of the game. Rasul Douglas the pick and the Packers now take control of the NFC after seven straight wins. The Packers are on a roll and I don't know what who's left on their schedule that they might lose to down the road. And Aaron Rodgers, they did this without all of their receiving core, essentially. Yeah. Randall Cobb was their number one receiver. I don't even think he was on the team a couple weeks ago. Like, it's it's nuts. And, you know, you got to give credit to Green Bay's defense. They really did a good job containing Kyler Murray. He had two interceptions. They also, Rondale Moore lost a fumble. You know, Green Bay looked really good, and I'm excited to see next week against the Chiefs. That's going to be an interesting game. Yeah. Because the Chiefs just had a very unconvincing win over the Giants, and the Packers have won seven in a row. And I believe this game's in Arrowhead. It is. It is. Yeah, this is going to be an ex- that's going to be a great matchup. And you know, Green Bay they should have the, they should have their receiving core back. I saw they just activated Lazard. And Devontae Adams should be back by then, too. They've looked great, Green Bay. Yeah, they have. And it's it's great to see Aaron Rodgers. And it's all, I, I my dad was bringing this up the other day, it's all setting up for Aaron Rodgers to get back to the NFC Championship game and take a major step backwards. Um, it's the Rams. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the, uh, so the schedule for the Packers, they go to Kansas City this weekend to play the Chiefs. Then they come home to take on Seattle. Russell Wilson could be back for this game. Um, then they go to Minnesota and then a big game after Thanksgiving against the Rams. And then, uh, about a couple of weeks later after that, they have to go to Baltimore. That'll be a fun game between the Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson. The Ravens had an off week this week. So, uh, the big game on, on Sunday was probably the Titans Colts AFC South clash. The Titans won the game in overtime. I don't know how in the and I picked the Colts to win. I felt like they were playing good. Um, they won three of their last four. They really should have won that game in Baltimore if they didn't choke away at the end. Um, but Carson Wentz, <laughs> what are you doing, dude? What are you? You take the safety and you force Tennessee to go the distance to get the touchdown. You don't throw a pick six on the goal line, and then you don't throw an interception to the same guy that who arguably the best safety in the league in Kevin Bayard, and that sets up Tennessee and. It's a win that comes at a cost for Tennessee. Derrick Henry's out for at least another month, or I would say maybe six to eight weeks, uh, with a foot injury, and that sets up a crucial Sunday night showdown with the Rams this weekend in Los Angeles. Um, but when when the Titans 
don't rely on Derrick Henry. They rely on Ryan Tannehill, and he came through for them in the end as Tennessee probably puts the AFC South away for good after that win in Indianapolis. And A.J. Brown came through for them. He had 10 receptions, 155 yards, and a touchdown. You know, he had a great game. But Carson Wentz just threw that. He literally threw that game away. Yeah. The pick six at the goal line was egregious. And then in overtime, he he forced a throw. He really forced a throw towards Pittman. I think it was he threw it at Pittman. And he got picked off. And then... Easy overtime field goal for Bullock to end it. You know, that's just a disappointing loss for the Colts. And, yeah, Tennessee, I mean, they are 6-2, and two, but losing Derrick Henry is really going to negatively affect their offense because they really run through him. You know, we've seen it. He, he's carried them the last couple of years. So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. They just picked up Adrian Peterson. I expect McNichols to get a lot more looks. And... <laughs> He's not great, by the way. Yeah, and, I was going to say that. And, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Ryan Tannehill can adapt. Yeah, I, I I don't think Adrian Peterson is young enough to give Tennessee what it needs at running back, but I think it's a good pickup for Tennessee. And I think that this might actually be a much more interesting game in L.A. I think that the loss of Derrick Henry might actually give the Rams, something that they don't have to worry about. They have to now play, keep their safeties back, play tight man-to-man coverage against these physical receivers. It's going to force something that they have struggled with in the past, and that's play pass defense. They're good at stopping the run, but they've got to get, they've got to be able to stop Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and don't let them get behind them. It's tough one-on-one matchups, but um, it's definitely a game that the, the Rams should be able to win. Um, on Sunday, I'm not leaning towards that pick just yet, but let's see what happens on the road. Pick. Uh, <laughs> um, it was a Sunday of backup quarterbacks in the NFL, and I don't think that there was probably a, a bigger story in the AFC of a backup quarterback than Mike White. <laughs> I love all the Jets fans just saying we don't need Zach Wilson. Mike White threw for over 400 yards against the Bengals defense, and the Jets win the game. I, I got to tell you. Any AFC contender look, looking at the Jets should be now thinking after Tennessee went there and lost and then the Bengals went there and lost. Start thinking in the back of your heads. Don't take the Jets lightly at all. And impressive win for the Jets. I'm not sure how I feel about all the New York Jets fans saying we can throw away Zach Wilson and you know make Mike White our starting quarterback. He definitely earned our love on Sunday. But Zach Wilson is the future. It's not Mike White. But props to him and props to the Jets for handling the Bengals as well as they did. Yeah, Mike White is exciting. He also caught that two-point conversion pass. What do you call that? It's not Philly-Philly. It has to be like a New York. What is it, like New York-New York? I guess you call it the New York-New York or something like that. Frank Sinatra, maybe? (laughs) Start spreading the news. Yeah, there you go. um, You know who else has been good for them? This this kid Carter at running back. Oh, yeah. He had... 15 carries for 77 yards and a touchdown and nine receptions for 95 yards. He's done a great job for them. I think they they drafted him. Um, but Mike White has been incredible. He led the he led the NFL in passing yards this week. And I actually saw someone bet a thousand dollars that he would lead the league in passing yards this week. Wow! The payout was 150 grand. So congrats to that guy. Um, who who saw that coming? But I guess he did. But what a win for the Jets. And like you said, they can't be taken lightly, especially in MetLife. They've played a lot better there. I do think they're a pushover on the road. I mean, they've proven it. You saw it in the Patriots game. But they, they when they play at home with those with those crazy fans, there's there's something different about them. I just I I can't help but wonder if the if the Jets might actually be able to knock off Buffalo. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, no but chance. Um, the the Jets have beaten two of the best teams in the AFC and beat them in close fashion. So yeah, but really disappointing effort from the Bengals. I mean, this was a game that you know all the props pats on the back. You went to Baltimore and you beat the Ravens, and they didn't even show up to play on defense for this game against the uh, the Jets. But they got hosed by the officials after the game or during. In the fourth quarter, that what unnecessary roughness on that play was there? Like what what was there that was unnecessary roughness? Like the league is a, officiating in this league is a joke. 
And this is how I can't ever trust any official in any sport in in the sports world today because you see egregious calls like this, and it just completely changes the game. So, but good for the Jets. And uh, how about the uh, Dallas, the Dallas Cowboys, um, with Cooper Rush at quarterback? As I mentioned, it's a day for backup quarterbacks. And the Dallas Cowboys, with all their talent they had, I still felt like they could go into Minnesota and knock off a Vikings team that coming off a bye at home, backs against the wall, and uh, Cooper Rush wins the game. And it just helps when you have Zeke Elliott, CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. I go on and on and on about this Cowboys team, and that's why they are, in my opinion, the best team in the NFC. Yeah, and Dallas, they were able to contain Dalvin Cook for the most part. I mean, he didn't really start doing much till the second half and they're in Dallas you know you got to give credit to their offense you know Amari Cooper had some big plays you know he had that circus catch where the defender tipped it a couple times and that helped set up that big game-winning drive and obviously C.D. Lamb who's establishing himself as a, a legitimate wide receiver one had a big week as well but good for Cooper Rush you know he went 24 for 40 with 325 passing yards, two touchdowns, stepping in for Dak. You know, that's a big win for Dallas because, I mean, I don't see any other team in the NFC East that can catch them. But if there was, you know, a game without Dak, that could, that's a game they, they could have lost on the road in, in yeah. Minnesota, and they still were able to win. Look out for Dallas, man. They're going to be really tough to beat. Down the stretch. I'm, I'm telling you, this is the best team in the NFC. It's not the Packers. It's not the Cardinals. It's certainly not Tampa Bay anymore. It's the Dallas Cowboys for sure. They've just got so much talent. They are loaded on the receiver. You've got a two-headed monster running back. You've got a very loaded defense that can create turnovers. And when you outgain your opponent by over 200 yards, or almost 200 yards, and turn the ball over twice and hold down the Vikings to only 16 points, that's so impressive, and Dallas has put the division away for for good, and they they are by far the best team in the NFC field, in my opinion, because of all their talent. Let's go to word association since we have time before we get our picks in. Um, first word association: Patriots beat the Chargers. I was surprised, mm. and the other word I guess you could say is defense. You know the the page. The pick six from Adrian Phillips, you know, that was the difference maker. And, you know, they did a good job on Herbert, who only completed about 50% of his passes, had a couple of interceptions. And they also did a solid job containing Austin Eckler, who only had 64 rushing yards. You know, this Patriots team, they're even in the games that they've lost, for the most part, they've been in it. And, you know, they're starting to play better. You know, you saw it. You saw it really start against the Bucks. Yep. And, you know, I feel like that just propelled them. And, you know, a huge win on the road against the Chargers. And Mac Jones, you know, he, he looks legit. And they, and they also got their running game established. Damian Harris is having a big year. I just want to see them get – I want to see how that receiving game does, though. I'm going to say Michael Myers in a little Halloween uh, post-Halloween phrase. Whenever the Patriots – look like they're dead in the water. They suddenly rise up, and they're right back there. They are right there. They're 4-4. Four and four. They are still in the mix of a wild-card spot. And I got to tell you, this Patriots defense really turned the corner last week. They shut down the run game. Um, they forced Justin Herbert to make really hard decisions with the football. And Adrian Phillips went back there with the vendors. And, oh, my God. How huge of an addition was Matthew Judon? Seven and a half sacks in eight games, which is too shy of his all-time record. And he's been such a pickup for this Patriots team. Um, uh, Next word association, the Steelers beat the Browns, and they've won three in a row, and the Browns are now in last place in the AFC North. Boring. That game was was boring. 15 to 10. Big Ben had a touchdown. Najee Harris had a big game, but he also had 26 carries. You know, they got Nick Chubb back, but Baker Mayfield couldn't do much. You know, the Steelers' defense did a good job. You saw the um, you saw Boswell get hit. That really messed up the Steelers' game plan. You know, they were going for two after, every, after both touchdowns because they, they tried to do 
a fake field goal, I think, and then Boswell just got absolutely leveled. He got concussed, so the Steelers actually today signed Josh Lambeau, mm. who might be kicking for them for a little bit Yep, with Boswell getting concussed. But, yeah, that, that was a boring game, but big win for Pittsburgh and disappointing loss for Cleveland, who might be in trouble. The Browns are too beat. I'm going to say Steeler-like because that's a game the Steelers would find a way to win, and they did. Their kicker goes down. Um, and Big Ben with the passing game works out. They still haven't been able to run the football. I'm not saying the Steelers are going to make the playoffs, but that was a much needed win for the Steelers coming off. Um, and they weren't coming off. They yeah, uh, they were coming off their bye, or no, no, they, yeah, well, they, they, yeah, they were coming off their bye because they beat Seattle. So yeah, big win for the Steelers, four and three, three straight wins. And um, the Browns got to pick up the pieces because they don't have a lot of time left. And with the, the way the division's panning out, um, they might just be done. Uh, lastly. Uh, Saints Bucks. What was the word association you associated with that game? Unexpected. Yeah, you know because Jameis Winston went down and then Trevor Semyon came in and he was he was great. You know, sixteen for twenty nine with a touchdown, and their defense stepped up. They had that big pick six at the end of the game. You know, everyone thought Brady was going to march down the field and lead a field goal winning drive. That didn't happen. The Saints defense stepped up. They're now three and zero. Against this against the Bucks since the start of last year in the regular season, big win for the Saints. All right, we're gonna have to pick it up. Um, I'm gonna say, mm, I'm gonna say disappointing from a Bucks perspective because that's a game that the Bucks had to win, and uh, they didn't even show up on defense. It's, it's just the fact that they're just too beat up. All right, we gotta get to our picks. I won last week. I was nine and six. Andrew was eight and seven. I'm four three and one. The first time I've had a lead since we've done our show in picks. So let's start off with Thursday night football. We've got the Jets and the Colts, I think, closer than 10. Closer than 10. Do not count the Jets out with Mike White. Uh, but the Colts get uh, take care of business at home. I think Mike White and the Jets cover, but Colts win. All right, Browns-Bengals should be the best game of the day in the 1 o'clock slot. I think the Bengals bounce back. They're going to get a much better performance under their defense. Baker Mayfield still hurt. The controversy with him and Odell. Um, Joe Burrow, revenge, bounce back. Bengals. That and Cleveland's defense is still a little banged up. Yep. I think the Bengals bounce back. All right, Raiders and the Giants. This is my upset this week. What We all know what happened with Henry Ruggs this morning. It's, you know, how will the Raiders do coming off their bye? The Giants, close loss to the Chiefs. They were right there. I think the Giants might get them this week. I'm going with the Giants in the upset. Giants are going to be healthy this week. Saquon, Galladay, and Tony might be back. Yep. I think the Giants win this game. Oh, I thought that was the one we are going to disagree on there. All right, Patriots-Panthers. This is such a conflict of interest for me because it's my favorite team against the team that I grew up watching as a kid in the Patriots. Um, I'm going with the team I grew up watching as a kid. That would be the Patriots. I'm going to go with Matt Jones. Better defense. Sam Darnold's in the concussion protocol. I'll take the Patriots. Panthers have been horrible since the, since their hot start. I'm taking the Pats as well. I was really surprised they won last week against the Falcons. All right, Bill, Bills-Jags. This won't even be... this. Might be close for at least a half before Buffalo just destroys the Jaguars in their own building. Bills by 30. Yeah. Saints-Falcons, this could be an interesting game. I don't know what the quarterback status will be for the Saints, but I do know that their defense will rise up, play a better game, get the win at home in this dome. I'm taking the Saints. I think the Falcons are going to keep this one close, but... I'm not going to take them to win okay. just because it's on the road. I'm going to take the Saints in a close one. I agree. I think it, I think it's going to be much closer than five. All right, Broncos, Cowboys, Denver just traded away Von Miller. That means they are tanking probably the rest of the season. They don't have the offense to win this game. I think Cooper Rush will play his second game uh, as the starter for the Cowboys, and the Cowboys beat the Broncos by like three points. Yeah, I'm going to take I'm going to take Cowboys by six. All right, Vikings, Ravens, and Baltimore. Ravens coming off a bye. Danielle Hunter is now out for the season for the Vikings. It limits their pass rush. Uh, I will take the Ravens to cover. This is a big win for Baltimore coming off their bye. Another agreement. Ravens are going to win big. All right, Texans, Dolphins. Do we even need to preview this game? I'm just going to take the Dolphins at home. (laughs) Dolphins. All right, Chargers, Eagles. I really want to take the Eagles. I just can't do it because I don't know how their defense will be against the passing attack. Justin Herbert, the Chargers need to win this game, and I think they will. Chargers get the win. Man, we just can't find a disagreement yet because I agree with that 100%. Chargers, they need to bounce back badly, especially with the Chiefs back to 500. I'm going to take the Chargers on the road. All right, Cardinals, 49ers, divisional game in the NFC West. Kyler Murray's health is a concern, but the Cardinals still have too many playmakers all over the field. 
They'll bounce back. They got a little bit healthier coming out of their mini buy. I will roll with uh, Arizona on the road. I just I haven't been a fan of the 49ers all year, mm-hmm. and I just don't trust them. Oh. I think the Cardinals are going to win. They're going to turn around there for a second and go with the 49ers there. All right, Packers Chiefs might get some disagreement on this one. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, and better defense. Packers get the win. Oh, I was going to take the Packers too. <laughs> I'm not. I can't. I can't pick the. They, what's going on with the Chiefs? The Chiefs are just that. That game yesterday was just not convincing at all. Yeah. And you know the game's is at Arrowhead, but Aaron Rodgers. I just. I think they're going to be healthy. They're going to win this game. All right, Tennessee and the Rams Sunday Night Football on NBC. I this is a tough one. I think just the Ram. No, Derrick Henry. The Titans got heavily penalized last week against the Colts, even though they won. I think the Rams go back home. This is a close game. I really, really, really want to pick the Titans, but I will roll with the Rams. Just can't see it with Derrick Henry being out and Von Miller added to that defense. He's going to be in. There's not going to be a lot of time for Ryan Tannehill to, to throw the ball. So, yeah, Rams are going to kill him. All right, last one. Bears, Steelers in Pittsburgh on Monday Night Football. The Bears' offense got going. The problem is they're too banged up on defense. And as much as I don't like the Steelers, I think they'll find a way to win. If David Montgomery was playing, I would maybe be tempted to disagree. But I just the Steelers are gonna. They, I just can't see them losing. Okay. Um, All right. Well, because we need to switch because one of us has to lose this week. I'll take the Eagles to beat the Chargers if they can just run the football. I'm switching my pick. I don't like Philadelphia. I hate the Eagles with a passion, but. For some reason, I think that they will give the Chargers fits running the football, so I will take the Eagles, and that will wrap it up for another episode of the Marvel Sports Talk Show. We thank you for listening. Go we Braves. hope you have a great <laughs> go, Bra- Yeah, we should. Yeah, the Braves are wh- whooping the They're Astros up six right now. nothing in the fifth. So if we hurry back, we probably have a shot to watch the rest of the game. So have a great night, everybody. We'll see you next week. the classics we've got the current hits and everything in between this is wqaq 98.1 hamden the soundtrack of quinnipiac It's a public show.